It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, you sound so much better today. I haven't heard you speak yet, but you sound a lot better. Thank you. You don't even remember on the last episode you were sick, <laughs> do you? No, I don't remember. I was sick. Was I sick? <laughs> yes. Yes, you were sick. What did I have? I don't know. You were the one who was sick. The sniffles? The cough? <laughs> Allergies? I don't remember. Forget it. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram. You can find us at the Rushcast. Email Jerry. Send to be a remedies for his illness. Whatever that may be. <laughs> Whatever it is, at the Rushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro was Lex. He's not sick. He's just a great bassist. <laughs> Subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app. And Jerry, I'm very excited because today we're getting deep into Clockwork Angels. Yes. Three songs deep, right? Three songs deep. But before we do that, I hear you have a great email for us. Yes. It's from Robert. Hey, Robert. And he says, I have been listening for some time and I appreciate the great lengths you both go to to put on a very enjoyable and entertaining show about our childhood heroes. I too have been listening to them for a very long time. They had me at hello with the spirit of radio. It's great to reminisce and think about the times as an adolescent when I was wearing the crap out of permanent waves and moving pictures LPs. The episode with Maya Wynn was very enjoyable. What an amazing, young, and gifted individual she is. Like you, I can't wait to hear what Envy of None will sound like when it's released. I'm currently at my summer home in Chesapeake Bay in Virginia, and most times when I walk in the morning, I listen to your podcasts. Our summer home is also an Airbnb, and the most recent guests who stayed came all the way from Long Island. It was four guys who have been friends since grade school, and they shared their 50th birthday at our home. They left a lovely note in our guest book. So I had about 10 minutes left on my walk after Maya's podcast ended and flipped over to Rush Gold and immediately thought about the LI guys and played Time Stand Still. Oh, wow. Cool. It's a nice song, right? How lucky we were to gravitate to three guys who are very talented, humble, and genuinely great human beings. Keep up the good work. Awesome. Thanks so much. When you mentioned the Airbnb, I thought he was going to offer us a place to stay if we were ever in Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> Buy us lunch at his Airbnb. <laughs> so there's one other. It's not really a full email. It's a quiz question for you, Steve. A quiz for me? Oh, this yes. is exciting. It's from Ben. All right. Let's hear it. He's formerly from New Jersey, and he is now living in Jerusalem. Okay. Which is in Israel. He says, a massive rush band. And I'm so happy to have found your podcast a while back. The show is, wait for it, fantastic. Uh-huh. So here's a quiz for Steve. Which is the only Rush song that contains the word fantastic in its lyrics? Oh, geez. I have no idea. You have no idea. You can't even, you're going to start just like rifling through? No, I look, I could go through every song and then edit it all out and Seems smart, but <laughs> I have no clue. What song has fantastic in it? Okay. It's beneath, between, and behind. Oh. Fantastic dreams come true, inventing something new. The greatest minds and never knowing. Thanks, Ben. You got me. I also didn't know the answer. Of course you didn't. Uh, so I had to ask Ryan <laughs> at Rush Fan's Instagram, and he immediately knew. Did he really? Yeah. He didn't look it up? Are you sure? Uh, he answered pretty quickly. I think his brain is still, you know, plastic in that it thinks 
and can grow still. Our, our brains are turning to cement. Well, something else that's fantastic is Clockwork Angels, and we're deep into it. We're up to track three, Jar. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. And that track is the title track. been starting out by reading Neil's little intro to each song. So why don't I start there? Okay. And then I'll give you a couple of quotes from the band and, and then we'll take it from there. So Neil says the place I had most wanted to see Kronos square at the heart of crown city. I had seen many images of the city before and Kronos square, but nothing could convey its immensity. The heaven reaching towers of the cathedral of the timekeepers or the radiant glory of the angels, land, sea, sky, and light, bathed in the brilliant glow of the floating globes. So do you think that the clockwork angels are kind of like robots on the clock in the square? Yeah, I think, if I remember from the book, they come out at preordained times, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like old German cuckoo clocks or something like that, very you know, very elaborate mechanisms that come out and, you know, let you know when it's noon or whatever. But they do a a beautiful dance and they seem to be alive. So luckily for us, Jer, musicradar.com did an interview with Alex Lifeson right around the time Clockwork Angels came out. And he talks about each song. So prior to each song, I can read you a quote from Alex. So Alex says, about Clockwork Angels, I was just messing around at home and came up with a pretty lengthy piece, and most of it is what Clockwork Angels turned out to be. Ged and I both like to work on a day. We don't really bring stuff in, nor do we refer to sound check jams anymore. We're both just excited to start on something new. But I had this thing floating around, so I gave him a copy of it, and he really liked it and saw great potential in it. We rearranged it and developed some of the parts a little bit more in the verses. And from there, the song just came together. And um, this quote is from Nick Raskulenitz, also to Music Radar. The first time Neil played Clockwork Angels is when he sat down in the studio with his headphones on and went for it. It was amazing to watch it all happen. A lot of the drum parts on this album, especially this song, he only played one time. There weren't multiple, multiple takes. So that was different than the way... Neil had worked before. Wait a minute. Are we supposed to believe that he had never heard the song before? 
Is that what this is saying? And he sat down and played, and that's the take? Yeah. The first time he sat down to, to play this song. Neil just improvised, which is very un-Neil-like. How about that? That's something. I think it's something. That's crazy. Because I, I found a little thing from, I don't know if it was for like song facts or something. Okay. That says that the solo played on the record is the original one that Alex recorded on the demo. Yeah. It's amazing, right? It is amazing. Well, that's so Alex, though. Right. That's so Raven. It's so Raven. It's so Alex. It's just not Neil. Yeah. But is that what that quote means? Is that he hadn't heard the song before and he sat down and played along with it? I don't think he hadn't heard it before. I just think he hadn't played the drums to it before. Wow. Pretty cool. That's very impressive. I think so. I think so. So shall we go through the lyrics as we, we tend to do, Jer? Well, yeah. I mean, well, let's start with the beginning of the song. Okay. The, it's a very, it starts off very atmospheric, right? Oh, yeah. It's just a lot of, this is where like almost every song now has some kind of ethereal mm-hmm. beginning and some kind of weird little outro that ties in maybe to the next song. And also the end of this song also has like a little, that, that extra, what do you lack right. kind of voice is coming in. Mm-hmm. That really lets you know that this might be part of a, of a larger sequence of songs as opposed to just a bunch of individual songs. Mm-hmm even though the entire album works as individual songs. Right. And that's another thing I read that Getty said that he didn't want the details of the story to start weighing down the individuality of any one song. This is quoting Getty, by the way, I wanted the songs to be a collection that could stand on their own outside of the context of the whole story. When you look at a collection of songs like those on the who's Tommy, you could pull I'm free out of that and it still stands on its own. So that's what Getty was trying to do here. Right. And apparently at times he had to fight Neil on some of the lyrics because Neil wanted it a certain way. And Getty wanted to make sure that the song stood on its own. That was probably the best choice because every song stands on its own. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Unlike another great uh, masterpiece, The Wall. Mm -hmm. Not every song on The Wall (laughs) makes sense taken out of context. But some do. Yeah, many of them do, but not all, not all of them do. And speaking of Neil's drumming, to me, what stands out on this song is Neil's drumming, which makes that thing Nick Reskulenik said even more amazing. Yeah, even more amazing. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I love how this song begins. Again, the atmospheric thing, it kind of sounds, I don't know what it's called, but it sounds like Getty's voice is like coming in in reverse. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like a, almost a pre-echo <laughs> is that a word <laughs> and that happens a couple of times on on different songs i think but i think that's such an excellent choice for the entire album and it just gives you the feeling of owen hardy coming into the city for the first time and and seeing the clockwork angels and just being amazed a gog a gog yeah yeah absolutely and then he because then when the guitar comes in right it's almost like seeing it from afar and he's just like, you know, Getty's voice is just kind of moaning or whatever in the background. Mm-hmm. And then he like steps into the square and it's like, right. <laughs> just all this, this, this cacophony everywhere. So the first verse starts high above the city square, globes of light float in midair. 
Higher still against the night, clockwork angels bathed in light. Yeah, this entire song is just pretty straightforward. You know what I mean? Right. It's a good, it's a, probably a, a, the perfect balance of a song that serves the story and a song that stands on its own. Mm-hmm. That's just a track on an album. There's not a lot of deep meaning behind these lyrics. They're more descriptive, right? Yes, exactly. It's one of the, it's a song that kind of tries to get the, the story moving along. But there might be some meaning in, in this next part. You promise every treasure to the foolish and the wise. Yeah. Goddesses of mystery, spirits in disguise. Every pleasure we bow and close our eyes. Clockwork angels promise every prize. Yeah, the, the line, you promise every treasure to the foolish and the wise. Because these are mechanical beings. Right. But they're so finely made, I guess, that they seem like real people. So even though everybody knows that they're mechanical, everybody still seems to almost worship them as real beings. But do you think the clockwork angels, in a way, represent the watchmaker? By what, promising beauty, but really just being mechanistic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had the idea with with the line, to the foolish and the wise, you know, that the fools would believe that they are real and that they can give you everything that you want. But the wise know that they aren't real, but they still promise whatever the society promises to give you, right? No, they didn't say this in the book, but I always thought, at least in my head, that the clockwork angels were at the top of a, a skyscraper, let's say. And this could have been the skyscraper that the watchmaker himself lived in. Yeah, I could see that. I'm thinking a giant clock. Well, that's what I'm thinking too. A, a skyscraper, but with a giant clock at the top. A clock tower. Oh, okay. Clock tower, yeah. Although clockwork angels might just refer to the fact that they are made out of, you know, clockwork machinery as opposed to being actually part of a clock. See, I always thought they were part of a clock. Yeah, I, I like to think that they're part of a clock. Like, like those... One of those old, like I said, those old German uh, cuckoo clocks right. that had humongous scenes in them. They were gigantic. And if you look at the artwork inside the album, Jar, I don't know if you can see this as I'm holding it up to you. Yes. That looks like the inside of a big clock tower. Yes. That you see in all the movies when, when someone's running around in the clock tower trying to kill somebody, you know? I don't know what movie it was. <laughs> I don't know what movie that is either. It reminds me, though... The- I don't know what movies you're watching. It's not like it's a gigantic fan you see at the end of a, uh, some kind of ventilation shaft, which you always see in movies. Right. Which I've never seen, a gigantic fan. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's, like that, it's, it's like that silent film with that guy who's hanging, Buster Keaton, right? He's hanging right. off the thing. It reminds me of that. So then we get to the chorus. Clockwork angels spread their arms and sing. Synchronized and graceful, they move like living things. Goddesses of light, of sea and sky and land, clockwork angels, the people raise their hands as if to fly. Right. This is where I get the idea that people just adore the clockwork angels, right? Mm-hmm. They just, they're raising their arms up, just almost worshiping them for the things that they promise, right? And do you think these people just don't know any better that these clockwork angels aren't real and they can't, can't provide every treasure like they think they can. 
Well, I mean, it seems the society in general seems to promise every treasure, or at least the treasures you deserve, right? Mm-hmm. So, in that way, that the angels are just a symbol of what society can give you, which supposedly, I guess, is everything, right? Mm-hmm. Gives you everything you need. And this part of the song, each time it happens, and I believe it happens three times, where Getty says, as if to fly. Yeah. Just that rush moment where it just has that brief pause and then it kicks yep. into the next part. <laughs> At the end, it's the best because he really, yeah. you know, right into the ending. Right. He really gives that line extra oomph. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. Why do you think that is as if to fly? Because nobody ever does. No, like not literally, but nobody, people stay in their station. Right. And don't really fly off to where they want to go. Yeah, you got me. I don't know, but I just think it sounds great. It is. It's beautiful. So now we get into the next verse. All around the city square, power shimmers in the air. People gazing up with love to those angels high above. They love these angels. They love them. <laughs> they love them. They're so beautiful. Yep. Celestial machinery move through your commands. Goddesses of mystery, so delicate and so grand. Move to worship, we bow and close our eyes. Clockwork angels promise every prize. Yeah. So what are the angels actually doing? I think it's what you didn't think it was. I think they're parts of a clock. Yeah, but what are they doing that you, when you watch them, they promise every prize? Oh, I don't know. I think the people that are watching are just not too bright. <laughs> they're just projecting. <laughs> Look, at the, the angel is promising me a ham sandwich. I'm so hungry. Right. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. Right. Sensible people like you and me wouldn't be fooled by these clockwork angels, Jer. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm growing less sensible as the days drag on. So then we get into the next part. Lean not upon your understanding. Ignorance is well and truly blessed. Trust in perfect love and perfect planning. Everything will turn out for the best. And that's a theme that runs through the book, Clockwork Angels. Everything yeah. will turn out for the best. That's what Owen Hardy thought when he was back at his farm, that everything's just going to be fine. Right. The watchmaker says so. Right. There's a couple of things about this, this part, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, it gets a little jazzy, right? Yes. There's a little breakdown. We're getting a little jazzy. And these lyrics are sung as if through like a loudspeaker almost, right? They sound kind of far away. It almost reminds me of when Wyland and Stone Temple Pilots used to get the <laughs> yes. megaphone out yes. and do that. I think that's yeah. what it is. I think it's got to be a megaphone. Yeah. Right? Oh, totally. I think it could, in the lyrics that I copied from somewhere, this is in quotes. Yes. You have the, you have the lyric book, right? It's in quotes. It's right? in quotes. Yeah. So that makes me think that it's the watchmaker saying this. And if the watchmaker saying it, maybe he's saying it over the town square, over Corona Square, over a loudspeaker. Through a megaphone. Through a megaphone or there something. There you go. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Right? That makes sense. Oh, that totally makes sense. And according to the footnote, <laughs> it's in the lyrics. This is from Proverbs. The first line, lean, lean not upon your understanding. Right. And the whole thing, I looked it up because, you know, I got like five Bibles in the house. Yeah, I looked it up too. Oh, do you want to read it? You can probably read it better than me. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Then the next verse, which I don't know if it has anything to do with it or not, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Yeah. 
That's the watchmaker. Yeah. Lean not upon your understanding. Leave that to the watchmaker. Ours is not to understand, right? The watchmaker knows best. Now in the lyrics, it says Proverbs 3, 5. Yeah. And in and out milkshake. Tell me what that means. Um, um, <laughs> it means that um, he overheard this while getting a milkshake at In-N-Out Burger. You think so? I don't know what it means. <laughs> Why is that in there? I don't know. That's the thing that puzzles me the most about this song. That's two things you never see together. Now, where'd you get this? I got it from Proverbs and from In-N-Out Burger. Two things that never go. Well, we know, we know about this time, Neil was living in Los Angeles and yeah. In-N-Out Burger was very prevalent in Los Angeles and still is, of course. Yeah. So maybe this is where he uh, wrote the, the lyrics. Maybe he was getting a milkshake. But I like that thought. That that's the watchmaker. When Getty's speaking through the megaphone, he's the watchmaker. He's got to be the watchmaker. Very good. Very good. Oh, thank you. So the rest of the lyrics, stars aglow like scattered sparks. Span the sky in clockwork arcs. Hint it more than we can see. Spiritual machinery. Right. To some. Well, I think that has to do with the fact that, you know, these things, these angels seem like spiritual machinery, right? They're machines, but they seem spiritual. But also, you know, the, the clockwork nature of the universe itself, as described by the watchmaker, is the spiritual machinery. Mm-hmm the way the world just works based on what he wants, how he wants it to work. And you mentioned Alex's solo was done in one take. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's incredible. Yeah. It's insane. The way, and the way it resolves into the jazzy part. Yeah. I bow to Alex. Yes. My, my, I have my arms in the air as if to fly listening to his solo. And as I said before, I mean, you know, I hate the fade out and this does not have a fade out. It's just got a <laughs> kick ass ending. So Getty says as if to fly. And then you get that little pause. Bang. And it ends. Right. Great. A great rock and roll ending. Oh yeah. The best might be the best ending of any rush song. Wow. I just opened up a can of worms. You did. <laughs> Oof, Steve is spelled S-T-E-V-E, just so you know, when you write the emails. It's not like I said, uh, you know, an outfield song ending was better than a Rush song ending. <laughs> I only know one outfield song. <laughs> <laughs> this Rush song's ending is better than other Rush songs ending. That's all I said. Okay, man. Okay. Getty, Alex, and Neil wrote this ending, so how, how can it be bad? That's true. So also, at the end of the lyrics, uh, we get a little... A little coda? Coda, right. The peddler won. A foggy woodland road, a crowded village square, the busy streets of Crown City, a wandering peddler travels the land, uttering the ageless call. What do you lack? Yeah. Your thoughts? Well, from the book, if I'm not mistaken, the peddler is actually the watchmaker, right? Yes. So he's kind of like undercover <laughs> trying to find, cause nobody should lack anything in this society, right? Everybody gets what they deserve or not gets what they deserve. That sounds very negative. Has what they deserve, mm -hmm. right? Everything you're rewarded or punished based on whatever you deserve. And, but he kind of walks around with like his, his 
cart full of trinkets and asks people what they lack, and they all say nothing. It seems like they're all very much afraid of the watchmaker. You know what I mean? It's like it seems like an, an undercover, undercover like Soviet spy who's just like you know trying to get people to talk crap about the Soviet Union, <laughs> but no, nobody will. You know. So, Jared, this leads nicely into the next track on Clockwork Angels, which is The Anarchist. Why don't we start with a quote, Jer, from that Music Radar article I talked about, Alex Lifeson. I think The Anarchist might be one of the first songs we wrote for the record. It goes back a couple of years. That's interesting, right? Yeah. So far, the response has been quite strong, which I didn't really expect. It's an in-your-face song, and it's a powerful part of the whole suite. If you listen to the demo and the final version, they're pretty close, although a couple of things are different. There's an instrumental melody line that Nick got us to think about that really gives the song its signature. The rest of it is pretty much the same as it was on the demo. It has an Eastern influence, which is somewhere we've gone before. It's something we all feel and like a lot. Interesting, right? Yeah. No, I definitely hear the Eastern feel. And Nick Raskulenix tells Music Radar, to me, it's all about the riff. And this riff takes me back to the old days. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the cool things about working on this record, helping Rush to know that it was okay to be like this. You guys can do this. You guys did it a long time ago. You can do it again. You own it. Can you imagine giving Rush a pep talk? <laughs> I mean, the balls, right? I love it. I love it. And they're sitting there going, yeah, we know. <laughs> I mean, that's what they needed, though, at this time. They needed somebody to, you know, to yeah. have the balls to say, hey, let's try something different. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, they didn't need an ass kisser. No. And Nick definitely was not that. They needed an ass kicker. So Nick mentions that riff. And to me, that riff is so killer. It is killer. Absolutely. 
this whole song is just epic from note one. Yeah. Right? The drums at the beginning are like, God, they're just the loudest, fullest sound in the world. Like Nick says, this is, this is old school Rush, man. Yeah, totally. Totally old school Rush. And I would say, along with The Garden, this is probably one of my favorite songs on the record. I mean, there's so many favorite songs on the record. Right. My favorite lines of the record are in this song, which we'll get to as we go through the lyrics. But like you said, the guitar riff starts it out. The guitar riff is fantastic. Then the drums come in. Unbelievable. And then about 40 seconds in, Getty starts ripping this crazy bass line. <laughs> and all three of them are just going off. Right. Before we even get to the lyrics. I think the drums start the song off, though. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But still, it's all great. Yeah, it is totally great. I mean, yeah, because it's, it is like, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, the total jam and free will. Mm-hmm. Right? Just one of them starts, the other one comes in, and, third, and then Getty comes in, and you're just like, Jesus, man. If only there were eight more people in this band, they could all just join in. Except it's at the beginning, too. The beginning of the song. Yeah. They're not messing around, man. This song starts, it goes zero to 90 pretty quick. And the thing I love about the vocals, before we get into the lyrics, is Getty just sounds like he's pissed off. He does, because it's a pissed off song. Yeah, but he conveys that pissed offness so well. Right. Was, was that a word? <laughs> sure. Hyphenated, maybe. Um, <laughs> it, it's in stark contrast to the beautiful way he sings on Clockwork Angels, you know, as if to fly. Right which had like a sense of wonder to it. And now he's just has, you know, a sense of, you know, vinegar in his voice. Yeah. Piss and vinegar. Piss and vinegar. So Neil's description at the beginning, before we get to the lyrics, Jer, mm -hmm. walking among the people who are so content, so blind, the anarchist hears the peddler's call and sneers derisively. What do I lack? Ah, vengeance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because the backstory that's not in the song, well, I, I guess not explicitly, is that the anarchists used to work as an alchemist for mm -hmm. the watchmaker. Right. And was drummed out for his, I don't know, crazy beliefs about alchemy of all things. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing in the book that I guess we don't get in the album is that the anarchist meets Owen Hardy early on when he's traveling to Crown City and actually gives him money. Yes. And doesn't tell him who he is. Owen Hardy doesn't find out till later that the person he, in fact, met was the anarchist. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, the lyrics. Will there be world enough and time for me to sing that song? A voice so silent for so long. For all those years I had to get along, they told me I was wrong. I never wanted to belong. I was so strong. Yeah. You know, you have to take this entire song with a, with a grain of salt, right? Cause it's from, it's from the anarchist's point of view. Right. So, you know, it's, it's just misrepresenting the truth. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's the way I take it for sure. Right. 
And the song that he's singing, right? Is there time enough for me to sing that song? It's a song of vengeance. Right. He just wants to get back at the world. Right. But he, he makes himself out to be so, you know, I was so strong. I never wanted to belong, which is absolutely not true. Of course he wanted to belong. Of course. He was rejected. And that's why he's, he's out on his own now. Mm-hmm. Had they accepted him, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have turned out the way he did. Right. I lack their smiles and their diamonds. I lack their happiness and love. I envy them for all those things that I never got my fair share of. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's amazing. That is such a great line. Still not my favorite line of the song, but still such a great line. I like their smiles and their diamonds. Do you think that means that he, he lacks, you know, their happiness, but, and also their creature comforts? Yeah. Just the, the things that make them happy, I guess, just their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, why can't I think of the word I'm looking for? Possessions. Yeah. I was thinking of a better word than possessions, but yeah, let's go with that possession <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but it's a, it's such a uh, amazing way to say that. I lack their smiles and their diamonds. So I think, <laughs> I think I know what line you like the best. Okay. The lenses inside of me that paint the world black, the pools of poison, the scarlet mist that spills over into rage. Mm-hmm. This is the part, right? The things I've always been denied, an early promise that somehow died, a missing part of me that grows around me like a cage. That's the line. Yeah. A missing part of me that grows around me like a cage. The thing that he doesn't have is the thing that is trapping him. Amazing. It is amazing. It is one of my favorite lines in any Rush song. A missing part of me that grows around me like a cage. At least in that part, he's being truthful. Yeah. He recognizes that this thing that he doesn't have, this acceptance and the love of everyone is the thing that is keeping him, you know, caged up. I love that. I don't think ever in my life I could write a line that good. No, not that you could. I I believe you could, but no, no, I couldn't. I couldn't (laughs) do it. Such a great line. And the way Getty sings it makes it even better. Right. His vocals on this song are to me, even with the great riff and the great drums and the great bass line, to me, the vocals is what stands out to me on this song. Oh yeah. He's killing it in the entire song. And as much as I love Getty's vocals, there are very few Rush songs where the vocals are what stands out to me. Oh yeah. Because their musicianship is so great that it overshadows Getty's great singing most of the time. Yeah, I agree. In all your science of the mind, seeking blind through flesh and bone, find the blood inside this stone. What I know I've never shown, what I feel I've always known. I plan my vengeance on my own, and I was always alone. Wow. Yeah, this is quite the pity party, isn't it? <laughs> Right? I was always so alone. (laughs) Maybe Getty should have sung it that way. Like Elmer Fudd. (laughs) (laughs) In all your science of the mind, seeking blind through flesh and bone. Oh my God. Right? Because he had all of these crazy thoughts in his mind, right? But everyone else is like, you know, is like a gigantic meat puppet just looking for the truth 
you know, through their flesh and bone when he was trying to find the truth in his own mind. I love that. Find the blood inside this stone. <laughs> He's so angry. He's so mad. He's so mad. And the, mu- so mad. the music is angry. The vocals are angry. There's a great bridge in here. Yep. Alex's solo is incredible. Just encapsulates the feeling of the song as Alex does so well. Yeah, I mean, the solo to me sounds very chaotic. Yeah. And the song itself sounds very chaotic, and that totally matches the, the chaos inside the anarchist's head at all times, right? Yep. So what about these last two lines, Jer? Oh, they tried to get me. Oh, they'll never forget me. Yep. He's going to make his mark on the world, right? Yep. He wanted to do it as being one of the brightest minds in the alchemic world. But if he couldn't get that, then he'll do it another way. But you know, just being a terrorist. Just try and screw up the watchmaker at every step. Yep. Just, he wants people to know who he is. That's, I guess that's his motivation, right? It's, he just wants to be famous. He doesn't care if he's infamous or famous. He just wants people to know his name, know who he is. And as much as I love the ending of Clockwork Angels, the ending of this song is also amazing. It is absolutely amazing, especially the way it blends into the sounds of the carnival. Yep. At the end. Sounds like a merry-go-round. Yeah. At the end with children playing on a merry-go-round. A very, very different scene than the song that just came before it. A happy sound of children laughing and rides and things like that. Which leads us perfectly into the next track on Clockwork Angels, Jar. It's Carney's. start with a quote from Alex. I love the opening riff with the cool harmonics, says Alex, and I agree. Mm-hmm. It's got a little bit of Hendrix or Robin Trower. The choruses are strong, the carnival-type vibe, and the sounds make them quite different from the verse and the bridge sections. The climbing bridge is reminiscent of something, but I don't know what it is. A lot of moments on the album are like that. I'm reminded of something, but I couldn't tell you what song it is or what era it's from. That's a great thing, though. People gravitate to that. Now, listen to this next part. Take Brian Adams, for example. Oh. A lot of his writing had that quality. He used melodies from other songs and was very successful for him. You listen to his music and take comfort in the familiarity. 
Therefore, you felt familiar with him. Interesting, right? I've never, oh, I was never a big Brian Adams fan, but what song, what melodies did he, Nick? I don't know. Summer of 69? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, from, from what? <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm going to have to go down a rabbit hole and figure out, you know, you'll find it on, I'll find it on Reddit somewhere. Of course. There's a subreddit d- dedicated to songs Brian Adams ripped off. <laughs> So there's more, more from Alex. This song has that same thing going on, referring back to the Brian Adams thing. It even takes me back to the Beatles, but I can't say that we've listened to a Beatles record and said, let's do that. Still, there's something in the choruses that recalls the era of the sixties. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, influences for some people just kind of bubble up, right? You find Mm -hmm. yourself using a chord here or there or a chord progression or something that sounds like something else. Yep. I mean, I certainly have never listened to this song and be like, Oh yeah, that sounds like a Beatles song. (laughs) I always think of Brian Adams when I hear this song. Yeah. No, I'm I'm kidding. Cuts Uh, you like a knife, right? (laughs) Cuts like a knife. (laughs) So, uh, Nick Raskulenitz says to music radar, Getty sang the song. And after he was finished, it was time to come up with the soundscapes. We have Mm. three guitar tracks one on the left, one on the right, and one in the middle. And they all have different clean amps with tremolo, panning effects, and phasers, Leslie speakers, and filtered little sounds. Alex doesn't really discuss what he's thinking before he does it. He'll lay his parts down, and then he'll call me in the room. Either I'll say, that's fucking amazing, or it can be better, or it's done, it's perfect. Nine times out of ten, I'll say, it's perfect. Oh, I can imagine I can imagine it's perfect every time, right? Yeah. Shall we get into the lyrics and start with Neil's little paragraph? Let's do it. I found work with a traveling carnival, and for the Midsummer Festival in Crown City, our games and rides were set up right in the middle of the square, beneath the angels. One night, amid the noise and confusion of the crowded midway, I saw a man working with wires and wooden barrels. He stood and turned. The anarchist! holding a clockwork detonator in his hand. I called out to warn the crowd. Then suddenly he threw the device at me and I caught it automatically. Just as the people turned to look my way, I escaped, but in disgrace and fled down the winding pinion river to the sea. Now, Neil, I believe is speaking here for Owen Hardy, correct? Yes. Yes. Who I believe in a way is Neil. Yeah. yeah, We went over that when we talked to Kevin James. Right. And I think that's true. So as Alex said in his quote, this is another great riff to start the song out. I oh, mean, yeah. just, just fantastic. As I always say, it's riff-tastic, Steve. Riff-tastic. The drums, the cymbals is what stands out to me. The drums are so powerful. I can hear Neil banging those cymbals. Yeah. He's bashing them, man. Absolutely bashing them. Really great. And it does have that carnivalish sort of, feel to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if I was in a band, if I could create a heavy rock song that sounded like a carnival. Do you think you could do that? <laughs> no. I, I mean, that's, I could do that. that's a, just a testament to how fantastic these guys are. Yeah. I mean, this whole album just shows uh, a mature band. They've learned so much over their intervening 30, 40 years or whatever, you know? Really, really. So under the gaze of the angels, 
a spectacle like he's never seen, spinning lights and faces, demon music, and gypsy queens. And in the book, Owen ends up dating one of those gypsy queens, does he not? Uh, Yeah, he sure does. (laughs) He sure does. And happily. Yeah. The glint of iron wheels, bodies spin in a clockwork dance, the smell of flint and steel, a wheel of fate, a game of chance. Thoughts? Well, this again is another song that is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's kind of set, it just sets up the, you know, the plot point, I suppose. But it's completely wrapped in this <laughs> amazing song that it sits on its own again. And as we get into the chorus, I love Getty's bass line on the chorus and the mood switches from the verse to chorus quite startlingly, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And this is the part where we get to a little bit deeper meaning in the song. How I prayed just to get away, to carry me anywhere. Sometimes the angels punish us by answering our prayers. (laughs) That line is on par with the line from the anarchist, I think. Oh, absolutely. It's it's like a monkey's paw situation, right? <laughs> yeah. You want adventure, young man? Here's adventure. There you You're gonna go. have s- some some weirdo throw a bomb in your hands just as everyone else is watching. <laughs> oh yeah, you're praying for this? Here we go. <laughs> Try this on for size, right? Right. Just a just a great line. Just a great line. And so we get into the next verse. A face of naked evil turns the young boy's blood to ice. Deadly confrontation. Such a dangerous device. So this is what Neil was referring to in the open. Yeah. About the detonator, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shout to warn the crowd. Accusations ringing loud. Now the accusation was Owen. He was blamed for this, right? Yes. People were like, look. He's got the thing. Mm -hmm. A ticking box in the hand of the innocent, which is Owen. The Mm -hmm. angry crowd moves toward him with bad intent. Yeah. And, you know, there's like a solo in there. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it just kind of, it bleeds into the beginning of that, of those words. You know what I mean? It just kind of, it doesn't really have an end to it. It just kind of like floats into the lyrics. And the thing I love about it is the solo is mimicking Getty's voice. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which I don't think I've ever heard in any other Rush song. No. I'm sure if it has happened in another Rush song, Ryan will correct us. (laughs) Someone will. I mean, you (laughs) see that a lot. There are a lot of songs where the guitar solo is just mimicking the vocal melody, but never... Never in a Rush song. No, no. But, you know, that's the great thing about Alex, right? Is that I guess he's had this thing in his back pocket for 30 years, right? <laughs> which like every, which every guitarist does every once in a while. He's never done. And this one song where it makes perfect sense is when he busts it out, right? It, it really is incredible. It really is. And then, of course, we get we get back to the chorus. And sometimes the angels punish us by answering our prayers, Jer. I know. So true, Steve, isn't it? Those screwy angels. <laughs> those, screw, those screwy angels. And, you know, just to wrap this up nicely with these three songs, another amazing ending. Yeah. Three awesome Rush endings. Absolutely. On three incredible songs. Yeah. And you're happy because they don't fade out. I'm thrilled because they don't fade yeah. out. 
And I don't think they should. And the thing is, they easily could have been lazy and had all these songs fade one into the next, but they didn't. Right. But they still have some kind of interstitial connection between them occasionally. Yes. when When necessary. Yes. But I think maybe that was done deliberately because Getty really wanted these songs to stand on their own. Right. And if they all have an ending, right? Yeah. For like the radio edit. Right. They stand alone. Even right. though I never heard Carney's on the radio. Well, yeah, I don't think I've heard any of these songs on the radio, <laughs> truthfully. But if you were to put them on the radio, you're right. The songs end, but there is the connection between them. Maybe that's the compromise they came to, right? Right. Neil got the connection between the songs. Getty got the end of the song. From what I was reading, the argument was, was more in the lyrics, and I'm not sure what oh, the okay. alternate lyrics would have been, but Getty was intent on the lyrics standing alone too. Right. So that's what Neil was fighting him on a little bit because he wanted to connect the songs lyrically more than they were or are. Yeah. Well, whatever happened in that recording studio or those recording studios, kudos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I don't think we can go any further on this album, on this episode, Jar. I mean, I'm just, no, I don't know if I can talk about it anymore. I need some time to unwind. I know. We still have so many songs to go. We have a lot more to go. We have one, two, three, four, seven to go. Seven? Seven. If you count BU2B2, which I do. Yeah, but that's going to be an easy one to talk about. Right. It won't take us long. We could talk about it now. No. <laughs> we'll save it. We're going to save it. So um, I wanted to talk about one more thing, which we yeah. meant to talk about. A couple of weeks ago, Jer, Yeah. I got a dog. Oh, yeah, that's right. I got a dog. Beautiful dog. Adorable dog. Thank you. I wanted to give the dog a Rush name. Yes. But I wanted to come up with a name that my wife wouldn't know was a Rush name. <laughs> yes. You know, so if, you know, if I named the dog, I don't know, Getty, she would say, oh, we can't name it Getty. That's a Rush name. Right. I wanted to come up with a name that she wouldn't know was a Rush name. Right. But was still a cool Rush name for a dog. Yes. So what I came up with was Cygnus. It's a great name. It's a great name, right? Yep. But the dog is a female dog. And I didn't think Cygnus worked for a female. I don't know why, but it... I don't know why either. I think Cygnus is great. Anyway, my wife knew that Cygnus was a rush thing too. Oh, Yeah. Man. So anyway, my son and I came up with the name Vega, which is another star in the solar system. And a car. And a car. And um, a folk singer. that's right (laughs) middle name tom's diner so anyway the the dog doesn't have a rush name which is fine she's a cute dog but i thought maybe we could throw out some possible rush dog names and see what you think oh okay i came up with a list and of course i found a list on reddit which i stole some of these from okay well this is new to me i have i haven't heard these this is a surprise this is great Okay, ready? You, you tell yeah. me whether it's a good or bad dog name, okay? Right, right off the cuff. Cygnus we started with, right? Mm-hmm, yep. Rosinante? Mm, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sawyer? Yes. Yeah? I know someone whose dog's name is Sawyer, actually. And, of course, there's Bitor. Yeah, it's a little too on the nose. The Snow Dog, probably the same, yeah, yeah, right? of course, yeah. How mm-hmm. about Brune? Brune's a good one. I like Brune. Brune, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Dirk, Lurkst, or Pratt. Yeah, I would go with Dirk or Pratt. Lurkst is always so hard to say. 
And then, of course, there's Alex, Getty, or Neil. Mm, you don't nah. like Neil for a dog name? No. Now, these, a bunch of these came from, from Reddit. Maple? Oh, from maple leaves? No, <laughs> no from, from the, the trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maple leaves in the, the trees. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't like that. You might like this one. Mongo. Yes, Mongo. <laughs> See, I should have come up with that one. She would have never guessed that was a Russian. Never in a million years. Uh, how about Hope? No. Yeah, it's not. It, I don't think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's not very iconically Rush. Okay. Uh, Syrinx? Hard to say. Too hard to say. Necromancer? No. No? <laughs> Just no. Presto? <laughs> no, I like that. Presto's a great name. <laughs> Presto the dog. Uh, Madrigal? Uh, no. Uh, how about the analog pup? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> You're going to name your dog the analog pup. Apollo or Dionysus? Yeah, both. I think Apollo is better than Dionysus, but I, I would. I would vote for both of those. And this one I might like the best is the last one I have. Rutsy. Yes. Rutsy's a great name. Rutsy's a great name for a dog. I probably could have got away with that one too. Yeah. Well, if you, I mean, if you thought that, that, um, Cygnus was too masculine, what's Rutsy? Yeah. It's not a girl dog name. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about girl dogs is they don't know really. (laughs) I mean, male and female dogs, you know, it's uh, not like they have different sizes. They just look the same. So, so send us your dog names, your rush dog names, the rushcast at gmail.com. We'll post a picture of Vega on our Instagram and Twitter. So oh, you guys can yeah. see her. You should, you know, you should get, you should get like a little, um, band, rush bandana or something for her and we'll tie it around her neck. There you go. We could do that. We could do that. You can find us on Twitter. We are at rush Fancast. Instagram. We are at the Rushcast. Base intro and outro, of course, is Lex. And Jarrah, I hope you have a great quote to wrap this up for us. I think I know what the quote's going to be. Do you? It's one of two, right? Yeah, I think I know which one it's going to be. Well, I'm going with, sometimes the angels punish us by answering our prayers. I thought you were going the other way. I know you were. Oh, you just did that just to mess with me then. (laughs) Get out of here. You get out of here. Bye. Bye.